Festive vibes. In the zone. Terrible. You don't like that? No. All right. Well, too bad. <laughs> that's how we're starting. Well, it's the beginning of something beautiful. Yeah. You don't know for sure if you hate something Painful. until you sit with it a little bit. That was right? That's well, I'll tell you how we start this. We'll let our listeners confirm whether or not that was painful. I'll tell for you them. how I start this. Ooh. Now we have an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of good stuff there. Is that a Zima? Thirsty. <laughs> What's no. up, everyone? All duels. It's Thirsty Vibes. <laughs> Here with your host, Alex Tatunji. I realized I didn't say my name last week, so not that anyone really cared. If you stopped listening because you realized I didn't say my name, thank you, I guess. That's cool, but I don't think anyone did. So Honestly, uh, it's interesting to hear you say your last name. Yeah, same. That's also the reaction that every (laughs) student, teacher I had growing up. I honestly never knew your last name until this moment. Yeah, it is Tutunji. Fun fact. Hey, nice to meet you, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Uh, Fun fact. It means tobacco merchant in Turkish. Ooh. My family from Egypt immigrated over here, but that's a fun story for you. So take with it what you will. We are a tobacco-free campus, so please exit the premises. (laughs) Okay. Well... That was a cultural backstory time with Alex Tatunji. And with me on cultural backstory time today is Jonathan Cairoli. What's good, man? Sup, fam? That's all I got. What you want? More, but now we're going to move on. Uh, next <laughs> in the circle is <laughs> Patrick. What's up, man? Why are you laughing right now? Because. <laughs> <laughs> Did I make you nervous? No, Jonathan's answer was terrible. Oh, well, what's up, guys? How's it going? And Not much better than mine, huh? Um, and then our returning champion, three weeks in a row, Thirsty Vibes high score, Carlos Oliva. Holla at your boy. I didn't realize you got points for this thing. Yeah, what, what's going on, dude? Yeah, um, sorry, guys, I just, I just never got an invite. Yeah. I'm winning. So it seems like obviously it seems like this is fixed. Actually, yeah. I wasn't Patrick in it last week? No, I wasn't invited. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. So and Carlos, this, this, is, this is also your last time on it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be benevolent with how I divvy up the invites. Uh, and then Carlos, you know, there was potential timeline where he wasn't on this week because he's been really selfish by being on every episode. And he he cornered me in an alley with a shiv. And said that if he wasn't on this episode about the beautiful game, that I would get what's coming to me, which I'm not really sure what that meant, but he's here. So Mm -hmm. with that, we're all here. Yeah. And uh, this week, we are talking about something very near and dear to all of our hearts. We are talking about the beautiful game. Uh, And we've kind of talked about that. A little bit because it's kind of like um, it's not it's impossible to separate from the story of Thirsty just as we kind of talk about it. And we talk about what we're kind of doing. But, you know, all of us are avid sport fans just across the board. Like I love baseball and basketball. Those are like the sports I grew up watching. 
and I kind of got into soccer around 2012. Uh, but everyone else here has kind of been following a lot longer. They kind of grew up with that. And as much as we love other sports, this one is just an undeniable part of the fabric of Thirsty. And we think that it brings a lot of unique things to the table as far as like sport culture and fan culture and the way it's kind of like impacting like culture right now. So where you can have like a separate conversation about it and why we think it matters so much. So we're super excited. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm drinking out of my Liverpool cup right now. It's not my Liverpool cup. It's their Liverpool cup. Um, we got two Liverpool fans here and a Tottenham guy, right, Patrick? That's correct, supposedly. Okay. Yeah, so let's let's just let's just get allegiances out of the way first, John. Let's just start it off with yeah, what something, you rep? something a little more, a little more uh, memorable, so Patrick can remember the days. Should we just start in? Oh. Champions. <laughs> should oh, Patrick that's... should Patrick just go first to, to be quick? Two seconds. <laughs> I mean, we're living in the past, Patrick. guys. You know, new season, it's over. You know, we gotta <laughs> start scratch. You know, so Patrick, give us your favorite moments as a Tottenham fan. Go. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I would say probably that game against uh, Inter when they were down like four zero, and Bale came back and scored that like hat trick against uh, you know Inter and an incredible Mycon who was defending that year. And I mean, that game was pretty much done and over. But to see the team come back and especially see Bale perform with that game was remarkable. And I think it was the first time to see Tottenham kind of change the way they were seen in, uh, you know, Champions League you know, football. Um, but I'm a huge uh, Raphael Vandervaart fan. Um, that's actually who I came to the club for and actually loved watching. Um, and he's not, I mean, he has some memorable moments and goals, but I think I loved his uh, playing style with the team. I loved... Um, the way he distributed the ball. I loved the way he, you know, his positioning on the field. I just loved uh, what he created in the midfield and, and uh, just his playing style. I don't know why. Um, and then that kind of led me to just fall more into more of a Tottenham fan base. And, um, I mean, the fact that we made it this far this year is incredible. Uh, so, I mean, if I go to the past and look at what had happened um, with the bail goal back in the days um, of the hat trick, incredible. Um, but if I look at the most memorable moment today, it's got to be the fact that we made it to Champions League when everybody doubted the fact that we could even get through any of the quarterfinals. I, at some points, did not think that we'd get it through the quarterfinals. Um, but I, I agree. But uh, you know what? I'm realistic about my team. And, uh, and uh, you know, I know what we can do. But I know that we, you know, kind of defied the odds. And that's kind of why I love the team itself is that it's come through a lot more scrutiny and, and uh, overcame a lot of uh, hurdles or obstacles. Okay, that was a really good answer. Uh, In your wasn't face. expecting that, but <laughs> it was it was okay. It should be followed. With, it should be followed with the with the curb your enthusiasm. Song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was a good answer. Uh, I guess now that we're diving into that, you know, we were going to talk about you know what our allegiances are. So I mean, Carlos, John, you guys just kind of have at it about Liverpool and L.A., Galaxy. Top moments. Top moments. Top. There's a lot of top moments. Teams in particular, Liverpool, top moments. Um, I don't know. Steven Gerrard at Manchester, uh, at Old Trafford, Champions League. But just this season alone, just uh, that 4-0 comeback. Barcelona, Man. rest in peace. 
Um, or pieces. That was glorious. It was amazing to watch, to feel that crazy comeback, to watch it. It was just incredible. You can't even like put it in words just how crazy that was. And then the Champions League final. And then old Big Ears number six. Mm-hmm. It's glorious. Yeah, mine probably be the same. Uh, also, the Europa game against Dortmund at Anfield, the <coughs> comeback, the other comeback. Um, that's probably one of my top moments when we were, we were in the office, our old office, and we were just yelling and screaming watching that game in our office. And uh, So that one, and then Galaxy, back-to-back champions. Um, got to experience both games. Um, and, yeah. yeah, I mean, we had... Beckham, Keane, McGee. Galaxy moments, Mike McGee stepping into oh, goal. Oh, man. That one, yes. too. Yeah. In San Jose. Uh, that was right at the start of when I started watching soccer. Donovan Ricketts I remember that gets moment. injured. Josh Saunders gets red carded out. And who steps up for goal? Mike McGee. <laughs> Fun fact. Mr. November himself. Steven Lenhart, who red carded Donovan Ricketts, went to my alma mater, APU. Shout out to our soccer program. Um... Not well, a good shout out, not but a good shout out because he's a terrible soccer player. But I did get to. I was gonna say yep. I had. I get to do what share that moment with uh, Carlos though um, with Tottenham in on our way to Miami, right? Oh yeah. And as we were trying to check into that hotel, right, I was like literally had my phone out watching that come back with Ajax, and uh, Carlos was just watching my expression as like could not believe that we were coming back. And after the, th- I remember when we got off the plane, I pretty <laughs> much was like, it's over, like it's three zero or or. It was like two zero, and I was like, "Dude, it's it's done, game over." And next thing I know, I'm like, "Carlos, we're we're tied right now. Like, we're up on goals," and I couldn't like believe it. And like, nothing else mattered in that moment, but the feeling of like was so incredible. But, dude, that was insane. The whole Uber trip, I couldn't focus. We're literally uh, getting a tour by the guy <laughs> checking us into our Airbnb. Like, he's giving us a tour of the place, which is kind of weird for an Airbnb. I've never gotten a tour by the person that lives there, but. Uh, <laughs> the tour lasted forever. I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're walking in to get in the tour of everything. And as he's like telling us, oh, and this is where the bathroom is. This is where the kitchen is. If you want anything from here, Patrick's losing his mind. <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, those are great moments. And <laughs> I kind of want to ask everyone here, especially because for me, like, I have a very different experience. And I kind of. Uh, maybe represent like the newer wave of soccer fans that have become soccer fans because soccer in particular has like utilized social media and kind of like current media in like the new age better than like any other sport. And I think it's drawn a lot of fans because of it. Uh, But you have been there from the start, from birth. So I just wanted to ask each person here, like how you became a fan of soccer. Like what is that? story for you well I mean mine my story is a little different mainly because um I mean I think the person that has the most like dedication to the game is probably Carlos but for me growing up you know my dad's born and raised in Buenos Aires Argentina he's a big river plate fan love soccer love Argentina came over here put me and my brother into soccer uh we enjoyed playing my brother he put my brother in through express I paid for him to be in club soccer. Um, and then I entered, like, high school, and sports wasn't my thing anymore at that point. I was a skater, got into music, 
um, those kinds of things. But like that was my falling out, I would say. And then I would say when I got out of got out of like high school music, I actually became very. Um, actually, yes, I got. I want to say I was. I got more familiar with the game again when the World Cup came around for 2010, and that's where it kind of like I needed to find that new, like, new fandom because I was so a big fan of soccer. I mean, I was a big fan of uh, skating and music, and I did that for so long. And then I was like, I forgot. I, I lost my way with soccer, um, and so then I would say uh, the 2010 World Cup, Donovan goal, that whole thing was like a big, like jolt. For me, then it'd be like, okay, this is what brought me back into the game. Um, but yeah, every so often I'd still watch, you know, the World Cups that would come around every four years. But I just wasn't so dedicated how I am today, and and how I am a big U.S. fan. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like my little gist of what happened to myself. <laughs> Compelling and rich, Patrick. Uh, it's actually probably a lot different than most people would expect. Um, I actually first actually probably got interested in soccer uh, watching the Women's World Cup in 99. Um, And I remember that iconic moment and actually like watching it on TV as a kid um, and actually being like interested in wanting to hit the ball around and actually inquiring about soccer. Um, I actually never got and played soccer as a kid. I played baseball. Um, hockey, and then I ran cross country and track um, in high school, like competitively. Um, but I had a lot of friends who had a lot of crossover in soccer who I met through running, who were usually using running as an excuse to to get their season like basically going and running. So um, that's kind of where I got slowly introduced into soccer, and and I remember being kind of like, oh, I can probably play soccer because I can run, and and then uh, as I did it, um, I remember being absolutely exhausted. And having to like totally use a new way of like thinking and moving, and a lot of the buddies I met played in soccer, which was like really cool. And uh, I remember uh, one day I was over at one of my, um, I think it was one of my buddies' houses, and uh, he had the Premier League on. And I had never, I think I've heard of MLS. I'd watched it like on occasion, like just casually, but it was never like anything anyone took really seriously. Um, I sure didn't, you know. I think I maybe knew of you know, the galaxy to some extent, but I seriously wasn't that deep into it. Um, but then I found the Premier League and I was like, this game is so simple and it's like so, you know, it's not complicated, but it's like beautiful. And I think it was more of the captivation part of like the fans and what it added to the game itself. Um, I mean, as much as I am a Tottenham fan, I will give credit to the fact that Liverpool's fan base is, is incredible. And I mean, I think I did a, a marketing research paper on Liverpool and its impact as a fan base and and uh, the concept of fandom in, in college for that. And and uh, it was like immediately intriguing to me. And, uh, you know, funny enough, I was like, hey, maybe I should try sports, maybe I should try soccer. That's something I might want to do in my career. And uh, fortunately enough, I was able to get into soccer um, as a career like super early, like right out of college, interning with the LA Galaxy uh, through some connections and uh, ended up being brought in full time and uh, got to be brought into like everything that the Galaxy was at that time, which was like the epicenter of American soccer um, with, as you know, uh, you know, John and Carlson mentioned with like David Beckham, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, um, Mike McGee, um, to experience the inside look of a club and the way it was able to communicate that out to a fan base. Um, and then how you had to navigate different types of fan groups and how you had to navigate 
um, you know, the communities around it and how it was building itself into those communities was so interesting. Um, and to also just experience the, the highs and lows. I mean, one season where it was pretty obvious the Galaxy were going to dominate, and then some seasons where it was, like, completely dead to completely turning it around and winning the, the championship again. So, um, I mean, that experience is, is pretty remarkable. And I most people would ask me if I, you know, um, when they asked me for the first time if I um, had experience being in soccer, I was like, I have no clue. I know it to an extent. I played it some indoor and, and, and learned to play like when I was 20 years old. But um, the real experience was I was able to communicate soccer to a fan base that did not know soccer. And I think that was a really great part of what I learned through not really having the experience that like Carlos had as a diehard early was that I was able to kind of get that impression later and then help people who didn't kind of felt me in fear to soccer for the first time feel comfortable um, being accepted to it. And so I think I that's what made it really acceptable. And uh, I mean, and I walked away from it and then now we're back doing it again. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing to, yeah. to, to walk that story, be at it for so long and then, you know, sit here with people that you consider your family and then be back doing something that you thought you'd never be back in, but on your own terms. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. That's something that soccer is really good at doing, like having a, a culture of like bringing in like fans and they've been very intentional about it. And you see that in like looking at some of the numbers of like, uh, like for example, major league soccer fan engagement online, as opposed to like the other four major sports and like comparatively per the size of fan base, the engagement rates are through the roof, right? So very intentional of having a culture of, of welcome, welcoming, like welcoming culture, openness, uh, and those intentional efforts like you had at the Galaxy uh, go to that. So, and you also have a ring, right? Yes, I have, I have two, two rings with the team, um, which are uh, pretty cool, pretty cool uh, pieces that, like, you know, I would never give away or replace, and um, I think it's a testament to just, you know, being included into the team atmosphere that you, you realize these clubs are not that big. They are, I think we talked about this, like, last week these are soccer clubs so you know you're part of a club organization that's managing players that come play for your club and uh, I mean you're sitting you know I don't know 50 feet from Bruce Arena who you can hear you know having his conversations on the phone and and then you've got players walking in and out on a day-to-day -day basis and you just kind of go this is surreal but I also have a job to do and you know are you're gonna be that person that helps get things done and move things forward and but also when it came down to the grind of that job, you really got to enjoy the, the perks of it, which is that you get to be in the middle and, and be with those players. So, um, you know, and I think that a lot of the benefit was cool bringing um, at that time John, who, you know, was able to really benefit from coming to the games and having him sit and experience that. So, you know, bringing the family out, having them be there, taking care of them, getting as many experiences as I could for the people that were in my life. Um, but yeah, dude, rings having the, as a part of that was incredible. Did not expect it, but, um, it's cool to have it. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. And then we come to Carlos, who has the just the mystique of the soccer guy in the office. I, mean, I feel like I, I've been put under yeah. a lot of pressure. <laughs> <to kind laughs> of Your story better be <laughs> iconic. <laughs> it better have the most amazing soccer. It's not that much pressure. It's just take your time, son. Just be you. <sighs> no. Um, well, I mean, just... Kali all kind of explained it already is that I kind of grew up with soccer my entire life. Um, I'd say probably since I was born, my dad probably put a soccer ball like in my crib, you know. Um, my dad grew up in Guatemala um, playing soccer and like dirt fields and like on the streets and, you know, the same 
you know, soccer story here from everyone came to the U.S. at like 16, played soccer in high school, <clears throat> became like national champs in, in high school, like went to Cal State LA, they were like national champs there. He played with like uh, pros that you know now, like, you know, he played against like Eric Winalda, he played against like all those people in college. He played against Kobe Jones, he played against, <clears throat> you know, Martin Vasquez was one of his best friends, and he was the assistant coach for the U.S. national team. Um, so, you know, soccer's been in my life since birth. Um, I started playing when I was probably four years old, when I could barely kick a ball. Um, and just ever since then, just soccer every year, you know, as soon as the league started up, I joined a team, play soccer. Um, and I kind of had the same story as John, where I kind of fell out of soccer for a while at least playing, not like fandom-wise, but just playing the game in general. Um, high school, I kind of got into like skateboarding and music and same S thing. Skate or die, bro. Always, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so got into like skateboarding and music and stuff, so soccer kind of fell to the wayside, but you know, I always stayed in touch with like everything going on with the game, you know. Um, just following the teams that I grew up watching. You know, I went to the World Cup in 94, I'm with my dad at eight years old. So I'm there like That's a little awesome. little scrawny kid with a giant jersey and a USA hat um, cheering on against like Colombia and like, you know, like those games, was, it, was, it was crazy, it was nuts. I just remember being like on the golf course at the Rose Bowl, like kicking a ball around before like the game and just being excited to go in and, you know, experience everything like, and obviously like at eight years old, I don't really know everything, you know what I mean? So like seeing a giant crowd of like, what is it, like 80, 90,000 people in 1994 at a World Cup here in the States was ridiculous, you know, and just being that excited. I remember going to a game because we wanted to watch, because my dad was a huge Argentina fan. I remember going to a game um, pumped because I wanted to see Maradona because I was a huge Maradona fan as a kid, and so was my dad. So I remember going with my Argentina jersey pumped, excited, ready to go. <laughs> and then as soon as we get to the field, we find out that... Uh, Maradona isn't playing because Yikes. he likes to sniff some booger sugar. <laughs> <laughs> What's he likes that? To, he likes to have a good time. So I remember being really bummed about that. But, um, yeah, you know, I've just been a huge fan. The MLS started in 96, and we obviously had the Galaxy here in our, in our neighborhood. So, like, growing up watching the, the Galaxy, it's kind of crazy, like, you just think of other people who, like in the rest of the world, they grow up watching like, uh, you know, Liverpool, they grow up watching Barcelona, Real Madrid, like I grew up watching the Galaxy. So that's kind of where that fandom started. And, um, you know, yeah, just ever since then, just the passion and love for that game and just the excitement of being at the game and, you know, cheering on a team that you've supported for such a long time and just getting excited when the ball's kicked or when they score a goal or when, you know, getting bummed when you get scored on or just things like that. Just that whole ex entire feeling is just something that I've lived my whole life through. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And see, now you know why I considered not having him on this episode because he doesn't really have a lot of good feedback or insight into soccer. So I just thought it'd be an easy cut. Uh, so yeah, thank you for reinforcing that initial thought, Carlos. You know, I, I, always, Carlos. I always hate being the first one to go, because then as you guys all talk, <laughs> it all comes back to me. And, and <laughs> there was like a whole like chapter of my life that I skipped over. 
Oh my God, someone saved my life with a soccer ball once. I forgot. Oh man, that, you, vo- that voice is coming back right here. Do you do you want to <laughs> do you want to no no fill in any gaps? Uh, no, I mean it, it was it was in I used to go to soccer camp every every summer, and like I had Kobe Jones there, Ronaldo was there, and they'd always go every summer, and I my mom would just dump me and my brother at this camp for three weeks. I literally had my own apartment with my bro, and we were like nine. And you would just play soccer with like all these like pros for Galaxy um, and the U.S. national team. And as a kid, I took it for granted. I didn't really care about it so much. But now that I think about it, it was like <laughs> it was a really badass camp. And I <laughs> so many so many things you take for granted when you think back on it. And you're like, why did I like stop doing that? Or why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I take advantage of this stuff? You're like, damn. I could have still been playing soccer, maybe. Absolutely, because I, I mean, could have been pro. Because I'm good you know now. I mean? Like I could have made it. Because I, I, I am, I am a good soccer player. Yeah. Today, today. No, I feel the same way about show choir. Yeah. A lot of times, I look back and I go, <laughs> Yeah, like, sure, I could have gone pro. Could have made it to the big dance, literally. Uh, but you know, <laughs> you know, what you life do? has a way of throwing you a proverbial bended free kick, and uh, you know, you just roll with the punches. Am I right? Fair enough. Absolutely. Anyone else listening Sometimes can uh, relate to that. Send us a message. We can talk about it. But, uh, yeah. Hashtag Thirsty Vibes. <laughs> thirsty Vibes. Follow it. Uh, no, yeah. That, I mean, that's everything shared was, like, totally spot on. And, you know, soccer fans are just different, right? Like, I think anyone would agree with that. And, and like, you can look at these, like, instances of, like, for example, you know, when Real Madrid and Barcelona play, right? It's not just a soccer match. It is a metaphor of the like cultural conflict for you know to put it bluntly that exists between you know different regions when England plays Ireland I mean that's that's crazy and then then it goes from a a a national level international level down to like a, a county level and there's this level of like passion and fandom that comes with it and you know for me I remember when you know, you're talking about Beckham, Patrick. And for me, my first thing was watching the Lennon Donovan Algeria goal and, like, the excitement with that. But also watching, and I wrote, like, a little piece about this, the the Beckham move here to L.A. And the idea that when they, like, marketed that on ESPN, they didn't market it as, like, a sporting event at all. Like, there was almost nothing. Like, I mean, obviously the name Beckham was synonymous with football, but they marketed it as a cultural revolution like the arrival of a new lifestyle a new way of life a a phenomenon and i'll never forget because they had the um uh you say goodbye i say hello ad uh that you know showed like the devastation of these people in spain you know of beckham leaving and and the joy of people in la of him arriving and it had almost nothing to do with soccer and everything to do with a way of life and that's so unique to this game and it's something that when we say we create fans, that's what we're trying to capture, like that reality that it's not just about the game of soccer. It's not just about whatever your business is doing. It's about the phenomenon of the culture, the way of life. So and, why... And to to kind of interject, is I think I, I, I like what uh, LAFC has done, even though they are our rivals, is that you're getting a lot of people today especially people I've known on social media or I've gone to school with, and they're just very, like, he's always talking, you know, talk badly about me liking soccer. They can get that, that they would always consider it not being a sport. 
um, things of that nature. And then all of a sudden now, LAFC comes into the neighborhood, new stadium, new team, cool branding. And now it's like, it's in, and it's in the heart of Los Angeles. And now everybody's like, oh, I want a piece of that culture, that community. Yeah. And people, I think, that go to those games are the ones who are just like, I, they probably couldn't even like tell you a lot of what the rules are, a lot of who the, sure. who the players are, and not just for LAFC, but just internationally and around the, around the world. But for them, it's like they know everybody in the stands because totally. they have that sense of community. Um, and I think that's what LAFC has done great at. Well, that, that leads exactly to the question I was going to ask, which is, like, why? what makes the soccer fan different? Like, why was LAFC not only just a, a marketing campaign, but, like, why were they able to create that community? Why is soccer able to create that community, whether it's for an LAFC or, or Liverpool or something like that, when other sports can't? Well, I think the biggest hurdle for American sports or Amer- at least at least soccer in America is that it's not quote unquote like established in America right it's 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 a, it's, it's in Europe or it was in England and our our number one sports is you know football I mean NFL NBA baseball um, and I think the problem was that they never took it seriously over here and when we started to create a team or a create a league um, it was never taken seriously and is always made fun of in a sense where it's like, how is the league ever going to grow? Because they were just like, well, there's no Ronaldo's, there's no Messi's, there's no Pele's, you know, things. I mean, I guess Pele did play for yeah, Cosmos, he Cosmos yeah. back when with NWSL. But yeah, that's not even that's not even the MLS. NASL? Yeah. But my my point is is that today the difference is that there's there now you're starting to see a lot of these these uh, European soccer players like David Beckham movement. Like, that was a movement. Well, I mean, if I can add to that, too, and I think John makes a really good point, is you look at this in a business perspective, too. I mean, they built the brand right first. They built the culture first. They built their brand, like, foundation perfectly. They knew what they wanted to do. They had a vision on what they wanted to accomplish, and they focused on the fan base first, and they developed that around that. So now what's happening is, opposed to being about selling the player individually, that's hard to do, especially in a soccer market. They're now, how do we excel the experience of the fan yeah. inside the stadium and get them to be a part of a culture and club that celebrates any player that comes and, through? And if I can touch on that too, like, well, if you think of how the league started in 96 and it's basically riding the buzz off of the World Cup. So everyone in the U.S. is paying attention because in every any, every NFL stadium in, this, in the U.S., there's a big World Cup match and there's hundreds of thousands of people coming to their city to see soccer and see this this spectacle that's the World Cup, right? You know, it's as big as the Olympics. And it rode that buzz from that. But the reason soccer fans, I think, are so engaged and so, like, different than, than everyone else is because it's that, that culture or that fan base is ingrained from the beginning, right? Like, these teams, especially in Europe, have been around for 100 years, right? They're ingrained in that city in that part of the country, wherever they are, they're ingrained in this place, and people tend to connect with them. They have these moments that come back to, like, hey, I experienced this big moment with my club, or I've been to this club so many times, and it's that community thing that we keep talking about. So everybody comes in, and it's a big community. You know your friends have gone to the pub to watch this game. Your friends have gone to the stadium with you. You've gone as a group. You've gone with your dad. You've gone with your sister, your brother, your mom. You've gone with everybody, you know? And it becomes this big cultural family kind of thing. So now, counterpart to here in the States, 
where you had the league that started off of this big buzz that was the World Cup and still, you know, only knowing how to promote their teams or how to do this the same way that all the big sports have done it here, like NFL, like the NBA, like baseball. What do they do? They promote their athletes. They promote the people that come to these clubs. They promote these, these stars. And that's what people want to see, right, in the States. They want to see stars. They want to see action. They want to see this, this big spectacle. So that's how it was promoted at the beginning. Now, counterpart, and this is maybe it's me being a Galaxy fan. Maybe it's me <laughs> hating on LAFC, whatever it is. Anyway, LAFC's done everything right at this point. But they've also had the opportunity to see everything that's been done wrong with the way these teams have built in the MLS. So they've been able to see how not to promote, how what didn't touch people, what didn't make people react, what didn't bring people to the stadium, and follow these footsteps of these European clubs that have ingrained themselves in the city and ingrained themselves in, in the culture and community. So they've been able to see all that and take all that at, at once and then build it into this one thing where it's getting this big attention and people are coming to these games to start a community and start this kind of connection. So I, I agree. And I, I, yeah. I, think, I don't think it's a test anything to LAFC. I think that uh, it's actually a really good point of view because it, it applies to every single business we talk to as well. Like everybody. It's like yeah, exactly. you can't separate yourself from this being just a sports conversation. And I think that's really interesting what Carl said about the NFL perspective, right? It's a spectacle. Um, I think when you go to these games, um, soccer offers this experience. The fan is... We, we have the concept where you go to like a Seahawks game and you're the you know extra man. On the, the 12th man. The 12th yeah. man, right? Um, and what does that actually mean, though, in the stands, right? Is that just fans being there to sit there? Um, you're giving this placement and this, um, through these different teams the part where you see the United fans like involved in the game, um, reaching over, Portland Timbers fans uh, reaching over, involved in the game in a way where they're featured as a player. Yeah. And um, I think that's really, I think where this league is going to kind of take that other experience to. Um, is that they're going to separate themselves in that direction. And I think yeah. that the one thing that LAFC did right was they did market research, um, which actually most of our clients and most clients we've worked with in the past have never done. Um, we know data is everything, and we know that a bigger heart part of developing any kind of brand is having data and intelligence behind it. Um, and that's actually where you shrink the time necessary for you to go out and try to figure that out. And I think that's what a lot of these teams have spent the last t uh, 20 years trying to figure out the league by just being there and seeing how fans would adapt to different players, et cetera. Um, but now you've got LAFC who's had the time to watch that and say, okay, great, now that we know where we can see the opportunity, let's use that data and, 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 uh, and practice it and put it into play. And I think that's where we've seen them surprisingly in two years do something that we didn't even think was possible. I think when we first all knew LAFC was coming to town, we're like, ooh, that's gonna be brutal. And it's also, it's also not just LAFC, like, you know, exactly. at Atlanta, look at Atlanta, there's yeah. 70,000 people filling the Falcon Stadium like every weekend to watch an MLS team. That's nuts. Yeah. Like filling a football stadium with, you know, fans to watch a soccer game for a brand new team. It's it's crazy. But it also it, uh, it also starts at the top. You know what I mean? Like it also starts mm -hmm. with like the owners, the franchise, you know, the people who own the franchises and the leagues and the teams. Um, and I think MLS did a good job like getting it to where it's at today. Um, but I mean, a I think a big uh, a big jump for them was rebranding themselves. You know what I mean? They realized, hey, uh, we did this in 96. It's time to grow a little bit because their branding was outdated. Um, and them changing their, their brand themselves, I think, gave them a whole new look, a whole new identity. Um, and honestly, it made it more relevant. I mean, people, you know, today, you, 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 like you look at LAFC coming in, Atlanta FC, Cincinnati FC coming, or it's already in, and then you have Miami coming in. Minnesota was already here. Mm -hmm. Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, so like the, a lot of these teams, they already exist. It's just more or less like now 
and now you you were you were not just your crest, you were the the league's crest as well. Even the Premier League, the Premier League had that same crest for so long, and they just recently updated their own too. So they also got to make that compelling and make that more in you know not such an eyesore for the majority of your consumers to to look at. You know what I mean? So it's got to be something that's inviting. It feels cohesive. Yeah, you know, I feel like uh, you know when you looked at the old MLS logo, it was very much a patch that was separated, and now it's a patch that's involved. Um, you know, it's, it's like the it, it reminds you of the old U.S. soccer crest, right? It it it, it made you feel very uh, AYSO, like mm-hmm. really youth league, like like '90s kids soccer type of feel. That's what you felt when you looked at that brand. Like, yeah, now it's nostalgic, and now you look back at it and like that remember that crest. But like when you saw it and you were watching it, it this feels like a AYSO crest. And what John was saying about um, you know the Premier League each of those Premier League patches now can identify with a particular team. So there's a brand, you know, uh, variation or a brand adaptability. Um, you know, the colors yeah. can change to the team it's supporting. So now it's like we are a league that supports the teams. I don't think Premier no, League I think does Premier League that. Is they don't do solid. that? I think MLS, MLS does that. MLS, MLS is crest goes to each team per colors. Jersey, yeah. Premier League is just, it's gold if, you're, if, you, won the, if you won the league. Okay. I think, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm, it's just, it's just the, the purple. Is it one color? The purple lion. Mm-hmm. It's like a white circle, purple lion. Okay. Maybe I feel like I've seen different colors. Right in so. if you've seen a different yeah. color variation of the Premier League <laughs> patch. Hashtag thirsty vibes. Yeah, at thirsty vibes. There you go. Yeah, no, I, I mean, all of this like it's just so fascinating because it's it's almost like the concept of reverse engineering the way you build a sports brand and and that's like fascinating going from the community up to like the product on the field rather than the product down to the community. It's like reverse engineering that and the precedence is from like across the world, you know, like what we see there. And now we're seeing that uh, have so many results here in America, like not only from creating like an amazing, passionate, like MLS fan base, but also in the way like the women's game has been used as a vehicle of social change and and to push all these incredibly important and relevant like topics and issues. And uh, again, I mean, part of it is that, you know, just it just so happens that you know soccer women's soccer is like the top level women's sport in our our country but also like i have to imagine that part of it is that that community dna that lives within soccer no matter what makes it more of a powerful vehicle for social change and and movement and um there's this interview with the um He's the international business director for Inter uh, and the Italian league, uh, the soccer team, Inter Milan. Uh, and he said that, you know, with soccer and the way they market, like their most important thing they follow is like, how do they turn like fan, the, the engagement they're getting into like relevant content back for the fans, right? And that happens best when the fans feel like they're a part of a community. So um, yeah, I, I think I think that's just, unprecedented with most businesses. You know what's crazy about that, too, is that culture also helps. Like, when we look at sports in a win-loss situation, uh, right kind of culture doesn't necessarily... Yes, it affects you when you lose, but people still push on, and they still kind of stay with you, even through the wins and losses and the draws. And uh, it makes the product on the field not necessarily the most dependable factor in a good ecosystem. Um, And that can also be in business. Um, if you're highly related on a product, right, even like a player, like you said, there have been so many times where you'd sell a player on a game and uh, the, the player would get injured. And that's an, a variable that you mm-hmm. can't control. And now someone who's expecting a player that you sold them on 
is now getting not getting the experience because you've, in a sense, oversold them on something that you can't deliver on. And when you actually get, take your eye off the actual product, like you said, and you bring it back to the fact that you're able to create a culture first, right? It actually makes that person not see it just for the product, but for the the investment of the organization and um, ecosystem they want to be a part of. Exactly. And that's exactly what we kind of like align into when we go into something that isn't necessarily a sports type of product, which is like really interesting, you know? Because you're like, oh, how can this like one thing feel that way? But it's actually really similar. Because, yeah. you know, when you buy something that is actually really cool, like, and obviously Apple, we could talk about all day, yeah. but you want to be part of that ecosystem of something that has a good culture, but also about when you have a feeling about Facebook, when it gets all weird, you're like, am I really a part of that? Do I really want to take a part in this? And, um, and it kind of makes you feel a certain way, but that's almost like a, a defensive mechanism towards losing someone over just the product sale. Um, you actually are having them buy into the culture, which, you know, brings more value to the thing that you're actually providing. And I think a, a perfect example of that is PSG, like them linking up with Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now it's, it's, it's a lot more than just a game. It's more or less about like a, a, like a, like a streetwear, like a style. You know what I mean? It's not so much about like the actual team. You know, people wearing PSG jerseys, they don't even like, don't even yeah, go to games have, or watch or follow. Uh, you have rappers wearing like PSG yeah. kits that I yeah, like the li- guarantee you have never watched soccer game. Or even like, like the Nigeria, <laughs> like the Nigeria kits, like those things were awesome. And, Absolutely. And, and, and they killed those kits and those things sold out like right away when like the World Cup yeah. came around. So w- it's like women's uh, World Cup jersey became the highest selling single season jersey of all time. Exactly. And, and that's the whole thing. It's it's. It's when you start playing into the cultures of things and 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 start, you know, picking at those types of things where it kind of it's like you know there's a lot of people who who really into soccer. I have a lot of friends who just don't like the game, they just don't like it. And for me, like, as of recent, and I don't know if it's because the Dodgers are doing well, and I don't want to say anything like, but I was always on the baseball side of things. I've always went for the Dodgers, never the Angels. But now that I just think baseball is just such a long game in general, but I feel like. I'm starting to see a lot more, and then maybe it's because I'm paying attention a little bit more. But I'm start. I feel like I'm set, getting more of a sense of community with, with the Dodgers and how they're putting things out through sure. social outlets. Yeah. Um. And it's it's actually showing. It's actually making making me want to be involved as far as like buying apparel, buying hats, you know, buying stuff that I typically wouldn't purchase through baseball. Totally. Yeah. Because now the communities are selling for you. It's almost like a it's like a low key affiliate program or affiliate system where it actually like starts putting people into a position where they sell for you and also position you to see the value in something maybe you're not getting from the organization directly. So exactly like that, like classic, like a think of a high school kid, right? You see these people wearing cool gear and like, they're the cool crowd. They're cool. They're doing cool things. You want to be a part of that. You want to be popular. You want to be the Mm -hmm. cool person, right? These people are, these brands or teams or sports are doing the exact same thing. Like this, they're building this crowd of fans that are, making people want to be a part of them. You know what I mean? So you're like, you see them in the crowd in the stadium or in the streets wearing these gear, and you're like, yeah, I'm a fan too. I can wear that. I can wear that. That looks cool. Totally. And that's something to take Oh, sorry. No, no. I was just going to say that, like, I think another another interesting thing is, like, you know, anytime you're in business, you're a brand, you're trying to market, like, you're always trying to be cautious of, am I putting out a message that feels organic and it doesn't feel too overtly salesy, right? Like, because people can sniff that out right away, right? And I think in American sports culture, we just kind of grow up with this uh, assumption that, like, that sponsorship and being sold things, you know, through the likeness of the team and through the team's image is just kind of a part of the DNA, right? Think of the NFL. Think of NASCAR, right? It's just, it's, it is sponsorship, right? And at the same time, like, soccer is the same way. It has, a, they have a giant 
sponsor splashed across the center of the jersey, but somehow there is like it seems like there's this elevated understanding of protecting the community first, right? So that nothing feels too blatant, so that when you do get down to putting the sale out there, right? It you have a community that's a little more trustworthy and that trusts the intention a little more and they feel I'm part of the community first and now I'm being prompted to do something rather than this is just something I've come, I've learned to live with. I was going to say um, what's really cool too is that this isn't just, and I think with soccer fans, um, you know, especially in LA or in New York, is that we're seeing those groups not just stop at the walls of their own stadium, um, you know, at the Galaxy or, or at, um, you know, the Bank of California, but they're actually bleeding over into the Dodgers, right? They're bring what they love about their team and what um, energy they bring into these um, soccer games. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing people do, hey, I'm going to the Dodger game um, in Colorado, and I'm going to the LAFC game. And they're bringing the supporter groups to these other other stadiums and to these other sports. And there's crossover with the Kings. And now you're seeing an ecosystem that doesn't just live within the walls of its own like compound, but now it's reaching out to better the community as a sports arena. And I think that is really where you see like a healthy environment start to grow and where it not just impi- impacts one sport, but many sports. And I think that I've been seeing that most lately here. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the times you hear like about MLS is that, that it's like the place you go to retire. Right. And I think as of today, I, it's little by little, I think it's, it's slowly kind of jumping off that boat. So you have these older European soccer players who are kind of at the end of their career signing contracts with MLS yeah, so at it's, times it's, to come and play, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's more so So the league does this. So it's more of a promotional thing, right? Like bring attention to this league that's still growing. Yeah. So it's these stars or big names from – it's not just like any European yeah. player or whatever it is. You know, they're actually known European players like a Wayne Rooney, like a David Beckham. Beckham like, was the first, yeah. Like a Thierry Henry, you know. Uh, Steven Gerrard came out here, mm-hmm. you know. Ashley Cole, like they, they came out here to – play and oh david via like yeah. a lot of stars look at these high yeah. high level playing players but you have this narrative that evolves around that yeah. well because yeah to they what you were speaking to John. if they stick to their club in, in in europe they say you know their contract ends right and then they wanted to sign another year another two um let's say frank lapart he decides to stay with chelsea they're probably gonna give him a really low contract but if he if he takes himself out out of out of premier league and moves himself over to the mls in the united states he makes double if not triple what he would make if he would have stayed in Europe because he's not worth it out there. Well, on that note, I have a question that I'd love to phrase is that do you think it's about the money or do you think it's about brand awareness? For the player? Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. Because I feel like at that point in your career, you mentioned like taking kind of a cut in your salary. Is that more back in an investment? Similar, similar to what Dave Beckham did when he, remember how he went to PSG and kind of donated his salary yeah. to kind of brand awareness in terms of what he was giving to give back, even though we know he was making that money back in other ways or from publicity and, and deals he had made with PSG. But I feel like these players who maybe we knew because we know Champions League, we're from more familiar with that league, are coming more to a generic, more, I don't say, um, newer soccer fan here is getting your name in an environment maybe that you didn't know before. Well, I think a perfect example of that is Steven Gerrard. I mean, mm-hmm. he played for Liverpool. And, and he probably could have stayed until he really re- wanted to retire, but he wanted to leave some salary cap for this team. So he didn't, want, he, he didn't want to stay at Liverpool and then just be a bench player. He wanted to open it up for getting better players, younger players. 
So he said, well, I don't want to be in Europe because he doesn't want ever want to face Liverpool and Champions League or whatever other leagues that, that are happening. So he decided to come to Galaxy. Um, and that's why he came to MLS. Um, so I think he did that not in spite of, I don't think he did it for, for the money. I think he did it more or less like he just he knew he wanted to play a couple more years. He just didn't want to play against Liverpool. And a lot of these players, like, they're, I guess, technically, they're, like, the twilight of their career. So as they're playing in Europe, like, yes, the level, their level has dropped because they're older and there's a lot of younger talent and more talented players playing in Europe in these leagues that are more developed and, you know, a higher level of play. But it's not to say that these players don't have the talent to play a few more years. You know what I mean? They may not be the starters anymore. They may not be the face of the franchise or whatever it is. But if they're still playing in Europe, they can. They still have the talent and the skill set to, to play in these leagues. It's just that they decide to come to another place and they still have that talent and skill set to play in MLS at a decent level. It's not the highest level, obviously. The level of the game here is obviously not at the level it is in Europe or, like, you know, South America or things like that. But, you know, it, it's growing and to have players of those talents come to this league, like it kind of not only boosts the, the um, I guess the ratings of the league or like the, the value and like star players, but like also builds up the like level of play because these stars have this technical ability to bring to these rest of this, these sure. teams and these players. But that, I think that's why I, I, and I've told you Carlos, I told you this a few times already. Um, that's why I'm not like a huge fan of slot. Lions, they don't compare themselves with humans. <laughs> you know, I think he's a great player, maybe five five years ago. I think he could still do some incredible things, in which we've all seen on MLS recently. Um, but his attitude towards the league is like, it, it's whatever. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like amateur. Like, where was I yeah. when, when Bella was at his peak? He's very vocal in his... Which is like, don't bite the hand that feeds. ...thoughts about his superiority to the right. game here. I have a question. So do, do you think that in the... That's crispy. Let's talk about slot on here. <laughs> well, here's a question. Do, do you think that five years from now, and this is kind of tying back to something we talked about earlier in the episode, Zlatan's attitude towards the league here, and what we talked about with soccer clubs building community first instead of product first and the other way around, do you think the Galaxy will be worse off because of the focus they put on Zlatan with their marketing and their team building as opposed to community building? Or do you think that the way he's talked about the league and talked about the players here is going to like have a motivational effect? Like there will be like a chip on the shoulder of people organizationally and players in this league to be like, no, like let's have a higher standard. Well, like I, let's I show. I think if you put that, qu- if, you, if you ask that question, if you ask that question to uh, an LAFC fan, if prior to them having say they, say LAFC didn't didn't wasn't going to get a new stadium, they're going to be playing out of like a college stadium, and then they're going to be in Carson, right? I don't I don't think you'd get the fandom that that it, that there is today, like because the stadium to me is a new toy. Everybody wants to you know wants to play with this toy because it's new. Right, I think if you, I, I think if you, if they were going to share a stadium, say LAFC shared a stadium with Galaxy, you know, for their first five years or whatever it is, would it be as impactful as it is today, with the players they have? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, a perfect example is Chivas. Yeah, 
I mean, uh, well, she was. Well, she. I think it's dumb to 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 to, re, to bring the same brand and, and Walla had a team out to. Well, that's <laughs> but that's also amazing po- brand position because it's like you understand that Chivas didn't succeed because they were too specific. It's too specific. If you're a Club America fan, you're not gonna go see Chivas but USA. Yeah. Like they messed up their placement in Guadalajara, ate the bolt for that. But I then, mean, then, but your point is valid about the fact that if you had LAFC in a different part of LA, similar to the Galaxy, could they get the same success? Could they be where they want to be at the moment, fandom-wise? I don't. You know? I don't think they would. I honestly think that that, regardless of the market research and the you know the building community from the beginning and all that stuff, they have prime location. Like, and that's probably lo- part prime. of the market research, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's prime prime location. Um, you know, they tore down an, an iconic LA you know venue, um, built a brand new stadium right next to another iconic. You know, LA venue, the Coliseum. Um, the train, the metro drops you off right at the gates of the stadium. And for people who are listening who aren't from California, I, we have no metro system. We have no metro system. So. But the one drops you off right in <laughs> right. front of the stadium. <laughs> and you know, if anybody goes to games, you know you're gonna have a few, or you're gonna have a lot of a lot a of drinks, a few drinks, dozen. a few dozen. Uh, I was going to say, though, um, I think that was one thing that was really tough, though, um, when I was at the Galaxy, was that selling players was hard. Um, not because they were, like, selling David Beckham, easy. That's, that's like, the easiest thing ever because everybody knows who he is, yeah. you know. Um, a very rare incident. Very rare incident. Yeah. Like, his brand power is so strong outside of the game of soccer. It's just that's where he got. And that's why I was kind of bringing it back to the fact that you see like LeBron James, you see like Kobe Bryant who knew that their career was going to come to an end at some point, right? Similar to the same position these players are going to be in is that they're not going to be able to play forever and they still have to make an income. And um, so are they using these platforms to kind of get that awareness so that if they were going to release some kind of product to support themselves, there's enough of an American market that would know the value of who they were by them spending time in the league. And I guess maybe that's maybe the way I wanted to kind of pose that question. Um, because that's kind of how I feel some of these players are coming over to do. Yeah, I mean, essentially, you you are a brand yourself, right? So these athletes in Europe, they are their own brand. Um, they sign a contract with the team. The contract runs out. They find another team to go play for. Um, another team comes and offers more money for them to come play at their team because of the level of play and their their profile, you know what I mean? So that is also a selling point to these clubs and these teams. So these these persons that have this high value and these high selling points come to these teams to be essentially their own product. You know, um, Slatan even said it in his own, like I think he said he wanted like break into acting or something too. So, he, you know, LA is your perfect place. Yeah. Um, and he's had the connection with the Galaxy for a couple of years. Like he was supposed to come like, I don't know, maybe three or four years, three years ago, four years ago, but it fell through because he got injured. Um, now he's here. And I think to play on his comments and the way he talks about the MLS, he's also a personality himself. And he's done this throughout his entire career where he plays like the villain and everybody hates him. He makes people hate him because that obviously brings a bigger audience to come see this villain and this person that everybody dislikes. Like, I, this guy talks so much crap. I want to see what he actually does. And, I don't, I don't and they come to a game and they see what he does. You know what I mean? But like, that's... It's, that's hit, uh, that's hit or miss sometimes for him, yeah. but yeah. but that's that's today. But my whole thing with that is like I don't mind you being the villain and you having the trash talk. It's like a McGregor, you know, like a McGregor can talk, 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 right? But like when you start talking down on the league, like the league that you support, then you're essentially kind of like downplaying like 
my like my team. You know what I mean? Because I mean, Galaxy's in MLS, right? So and MLS and Galaxy are paying for him to be here, and it's like you want to talk. You want to talk all the all the, all the shit you want about with Vela. That's great. That doesn't bother me. But don't sit there and talk about how like MLS is like a lower tier league and all that. I, I think that's kind of already. It's already kind of known. Yeah, it's known yeah. around the world. And is that crazy? I mean, even from just the way that it's expressed through players and stuff, it's like that storyline, that story is so important um, to the way that we interact with something specifically, right? The way that we perceive, um, you know, the value of something. Like the reason why LAFC and LA Galaxy was such a hot ticket was because it was such a commodity. Like there was such a thing about it, you know? And it's because of comments like that, right, that make it that event. And, um, you know, that core principle doesn't just apply to that sport. It applies to things that we can try to influence in other things as well, which is, I think, the core concept of soccer and fandom, but where that fandom applies to the things that we also, you know, try to instill with other people's concepts with businesses that don't have that. But, I mean, on the flip of that, I saw fan bases in software. I saw fan bases that sure. had the same feelings you did. They were like, oh, I am a supporter of this software. And they would come to an event and when they would they would trash talk each other yep. on the internet for software, yep. and I was laughing because I was like, "This is crazy. This is exactly what I would see in you know." And look at the Android Apple conversation. Yeah, how many people trash talk each exactly, other on, exactly on the product? It's like yeah. a it's, yeah. sorry to interrupt. It's like no, it's fine. It, the community thing, right? Like yeah. you become part of this community, right? And everyone that's a po- uh, not in this community is technically against you, right? <laughs> like you're you're not Apple. Your Android, Apple is way better. Why? I mean, there's no reason to like compare them or like. I mean, they're both tech products, but like, at the end, it's like the companies are battling themselves with their communities. Like, I'm better than you because my community says so. Mm-hmm. No, I'm better than you because my community says so. Yeah. It's essentially it's like a rivalry, like a team would say, right? This team is better than this team. Why? Because this fan group said so, or this team said so. Like, it's it's going back and forth like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would say that like, if you ask those companies too they wouldn't say that they're like they're a product company like they would say that they're a lifestyle brand they're, they would say that our way of life when you use apple products is better than the way of life when you use android products right it's not about the product right and that's what everyone wants to get to and kind of the point we're making here with why having that community focus and orientation matters so much and why we keep going back to soccer as an example for that because we get to look at it in a manifested people screaming in the fans every single week in and and week out and that's inspiring so I guess my question to close it out would be what are you most excited to see soccer fandom become in the next few years or where do you think it's going and if and if you have an idea what what do you think businesses can learn most from where it's going in just the soccer portion of it itself i see the league here itself the mls growing to be one of the best leagues in the world um it's it's kind of inevitable this country is so big um the money is coming the money's already showing up um players are coming uh, the league is growing, more teams in more stadiums, you know what I mean, across the country. Um, it's going to be at the level that it, that it's gonna, that it, the rest of these leagues are, you know, it, maybe it won't be the best because Europe is still that level and, you know, it's, it's harder to beat that European level. Like those clubs have been there forever, but it will get up there 
and it will be one of the best. That's yeah. what I see. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think um, if I'm a business looking at soccer, and first off, don't discredit the fact that you're connected, not connected in any way. That's the first thing I think I'd, I would avoid putting a decision yourself. I'd think commit and say, how can my brand be a team? And how can my brand be and have a customer base um, of the product or service I provide that goes beyond just the product and service? What culture am I bringing into um, my business that not only do I want to be a part of, my employees to be a part of, but the customers themselves want to be a part of and add more value to. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. The success of, of Major League Soccer um, is not based upon what they followed other sports in. It's because they focused on going the route of uh, engagement and um, the environment that's created. And we see that right now as a lot of the market is going towards um, experiential, being activating an environment, um, that it's getting out outside of digital because digital is so prevalent and so common. And the MLS is actually one of the most forward-thinking leagues in the world itself. Like, they're the first to try out new technology in the game. They're the first to try out um, a new way to take in stats, a new way to engage with their audiences, like you're saying, you know, using social to connect with people. Like, they're one of the first leagues to start using those platforms and that new technology to connect people with the league and the information going through the league. So that kind of stuff is... Crazy. Yeah, and I and I know before John goes because John probably adds something to this too. I just uh, think that they've done their research, and when you do your research, you shrink the amount of time you can make a difference. Um, it's like when you do your homework, you know what you're doing and why you're doing it and where you're going to go with it. And the reason why they've actually been able to catch up so quickly was because of exactly what Carlos stated: is that they are doing things that, and if you want to look at what the market is like and how the fans are interacting with media and content and products and services look at the way that the fans are in that stadium and how they're committed to the pieces of that. It's all about like the engagement you get from the people that are following you, right? So whether it's a fan, I mean, fans, like we say, can be anything. So a fan of your product, a fan of whatever, keeping them engaged in the things that you're doing and keeping them, um, what is it? Yeah, engaged and entertained and you know, following the new things and the new stories and the new products and the new things that are coming out and creative ways that you are doing this, keeping people engaged in that kind of builds that community that we keep talking about and that fan base that will come back and will be a part of what you're trying to do and be part of what your business is essentially trying to promote. Yeah. In its it, essence, feedback loops and involved in the creative process. If they have feedback, 100%. listen to them. Like yeah. they're yeah. your people that speak your brand. Let them speak it. You know, mm -hmm. don't hold your own opinion. Have the humbleness to step down and say, listen, you're making my product what it is. What do you want to make better in it? Yeah, I think we just shared something recently of like LAFC putting out an invitation to like a design night for designers in the community to come in and have a say in like the marketing process of continuing to build the brand out. And that speaks to what you've all been saying, this willingness to embrace new things that MLS and soccer on a whole has, has done for a very long time. I think all of us you know, if we are in a business or starting a business, we want to take over the world. You know, I think that's a mindset we can all get into. We want to we want to grow. We want to dominate. We want to we want to, you know, take over the world. But to your point, John, looking at these small communities that have just come to life by embracing soccer fandom, these small communities or Green Bay, right? Realizing that you have that community in the digital space as well. And it might seem small. It might seem like you're missing the mark by not going for taking over the world, but how does the Green Bay Packer brand go all over the world? How do people all over the world now know about 
Atlanta United, you know, that didn't have a team a few years ago. Find that digital community if that's your brand or if it's in, you know, person. Find that community, embrace them, be willing to take new things, and have fun with it. Never played the game, but I heard about the sisters. A wise mister said love is gonna get you. But dang what I read in the scriptures.